Well, it is uh, awesome to be here this morning. We got in Wednesday, shared with the youth group. Uh, who was all at the youth service? Where are my students at? Yeah. Awesome. Yep, David. Uh, I know. You just never left, right? Um, we had a great time. And then we took a couple days to see Superior in Duluth. And, uh, and we just enjoy it, have enjoyed our time here. Um, got to meet David and Carolyn last night. And, and uh, just what, a, what an incredible church you have here with Pastor Tom. I got to meet him about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And uh, hear a little bit of the story of what God's doing here at Central. And so, you know, it's neat. No matter where you travel, when you're part of a church, it's so neat to know you're with family. Because we're all a part of the family of God. And so we're thankful to be a part of your family this morning. And thankful for what God is going to do in this place. Um, I brought my family with me. My wife is here. And I'm going to have her share in, in a bit. And our kids are also here. We have three kids Levi, Nora, and Grace, and one more on the way, Valentine's Day 2019, so we're excited. We are excited, so, uh, so we have our, Levi is seven, he's our, he's our mountain climber, he is ready to go to India because he wants to climb some mountains, um, and uh, Nora is four. And she's just ready to take care of everybody, you know. She's our little princess. She's got her princess backpack. Um, and uh, she was taking care of a stick this week. I mean, she's just got to take care of someone. So she had this stick wrapped up in a blanket in the drawer of our hotel suite. So it was, it was a good time. And then Grace is one, and she is, uh, she is everywhere. We went to the beach yesterday, and she, she was just like, checking everything out, watching the boats go across, and just, just loving it. Um, so, and we are headed to India, uh, like, we, like Sam shared. And I, I you know, we, we're, we're Wisconsinites. We've been here for, for nine years, youth pastoring in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And my son is a, a passionate Green Bay Packers fan and a Wisconsin Badgers fan. Um, and so it, it's interesting being in a, in a, you know, so close to Minnesota, you know, a place that you feel a little divided. Can I talk about the Packers? Is that okay? All right. Um, but, uh, but, but as we're headed to India, you know, it's a place that's so very different from what we're used to here in Wisconsin and in the United States. Um, and, and when I first thought of India, I thought of a place that was hot, you know, that had pollution. There was trash everywhere. You know, you, you have this picture sometimes of different places, and it's not quite accurate. So I wanted to give you a taste of India this morning with a little video that shows you uh, a little bit of where we'll be going. So why don't you check it out? can see that in the midst of death, life persists, in the midst of untruth, truth persists, in the midst of darkness, light persists. Hence I gather that God is life, truth, light. He is love. He is the supreme good. 
So in giving you a glimpse of India and, and a little bit of a taste of where we're going, you see the diversity, the beauty of this amazing country. And uh, for, for me and for this call on our family and on my life, um, it started in a place I didn't expect it. I had been to India on a missions trip in 2014, and it was in the next year, um, in August of that year, I was at an event called National Fine Arts with my students. Um, we were at this event, they had these big services, and so at one of the services, um, it was between speakers that a missionary received an award. Um, he had been a missionary for well over 20 years in India, and he just briefly shared his call. And it was while he was sharing his call, you know, that I just began to feel a sense of deja vu as I was kind of going back to those moments I had while I was there in India. He described it so clearly that it brought me back to that mission trip I had. And as I thought of that moment, I began to think of this moment I had with a local pastor in India. We were up in the mountains, uh, in the Himalayan mountains, and while we were up there, he pointed across this mountainside there. He pointed out all these tiny villages there in India and began to share with me how for many of these villages, these people had never heard the name of Jesus and had yet to even meet a Christian. He talked about generations of people who had lived and died, never knowing their Savior. And so fast forward a year later, I'm sitting in my seat during that uh, National Fine Arts Service and I just began to weep no worship team playing, you know, no speaker sharing the gospel, just a missionary sharing his story. And I just began to cry there in my seat for these generations of people who still had yet to meet their maker, had yet to meet Jesus. And so I just began to pray, God, send people to India. God, someone has to go to, these, to this unreached area of the world. You see, today... In India is one-third of all unreached people groups in the entire world. In India alone. I just began to weep and pray in my seat. Send someone. God, we've got to reach this country. Someone has to go. And that's when he pointed a finger at me. (laughs) And he said, I want you to go to India. And so I just began to say, all right, God, whatever you want. I just want to say yes to you. I just want to be obedient to you. And all this time, my wife is back at the hotel room with our two kids, trying to get them to sleep, you know, trying to get the room quiet. And uh, so the service is powerful. I come back to the room. She's finally got them to sleep. I throw open the door and I say, honey, we're going to be missionaries to India. Let me, I'm going to have her share a little bit about how that went. Is it green? Now it's green. Okay, check, check. I always have trouble with this. I'll just be honest. (laughs) Um, So it's not my proudest moment that I share with you this morning, but my response was, no, we're not. We're going to bed, and we are going home to Wisconsin (laughs) in the United States after all of this. And so, um, so we came back to Wisconsin, and I... I didn't deny that Dan had heard from God. I was just hoping it wasn't maybe the way he was describing it, like the rest of our lives, living away from our family in another country, in another culture. 
And it was just so different from what I pictured my life. Mm. And maybe you've been in that place too where you're like, no, this, is, this isn't how I pictured my life would be. God, I know I said I, I follow you and, I'll, and I trust you, but I still kind of had an idea in my head of what it was going to look like. So we came back and we were on two very different pages. And in a marriage especially, that's hard. <laughs> when one is ready to go and one is ready to stay, like I was. And um, so Dan would ask me, he's like, well, can you pray about it? And I just said, this is, this is too hard. Like, I'm kind of scared what God might say, say to me, and um, I can't pray about it. And there really was nothing he was going to say that could change my heart. Yeah. And what do you do then? How do you get someone to change their mind when they are completely against it? And so Dan started to do something for me that I didn't know, and he started to fast and he started to pray. And maybe there's someone that you've been fasting and praying for. Um, and I'm here to tell you, God answers. Because after two years of fasting and praying for me, every Tuesday at lunch, um, my heart was starting to soften. And I was able to pray, God, is this what you have for your family? This is never what I pictured for my life. But could this be something that you still have for me? And I never heard God say to me, like Dan did, so clearly, this is my plan for your life. And I struggled with that because you thought, well, am I really following God? Am I really hearing from him? I didn't have the same experience. But we're not all the same people. God has made each of us so unique. And I really believe he's not going to speak to each one of us the same. If God had spoken to me that way, I would have said, um... I don't think so. <laughs> I'm an ordinary person. I'm not super adventurous. I'm not super brave. I mean, people who do things like this are, like, they're brave, and I'm not. I'm just a very normal person. I was born and raised in Iowa. The Midwest is my home, and that's just how it is. Um, but I was, as I was starting to pray, my heart was starting to soften. I heard God ask me three questions, and maybe you've experienced that. Where you just know God is speaking to your heart. And I heard him say to me, um, do you know that this is the man you're supposed to marry? I said, yes, I know that God. And he said, do you believe your husband heard from me that this is what I have for your family? And I said, yes, God, I do believe that because he's never been this sure or passionate of anything in his life. And then the third question um, I heard God speak to me was the hardest. And it was, well, do you believe you can trust me? And maybe you've been in that place where you're like, I trust you, God. I've been trusting you. But then something bigger comes up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, no, that one's too hard. Yeah. And so it really just brought me to this place of, you know, God, I, I thought I'd been trusting you all this time. Yeah. But I know there's more. And I know yeah. that I don't want to stay in a place where I'm trusting myself. But if this is what it is for me to trust you more, then I'm going to take this step. And, and follow you, and, and really, um, it's a daily step for me, especially with almost having four little ones. I mean, sometimes I can't even, feel like I can't even imagine, manage <laughs> at home. Um, but it's daily saying, God, I trust you, and I'm going to follow you. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, if there's someone in your life who you don't know how their heart is going to change, maybe you've been praying for them to come to know Jesus, um, keep praying for them, keep fasting for them, because the change in my heart 
is because of that, is because Amen. of prayer and fasting, and God moves, and God hears your prayers, Amen. and just be encouraged in that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's good. And just a caveat, husbands, if your, wives does not, your wife does not hunt and fish, and you start praying and fasting, all right, no guarantees on that one, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because as God speaks to your heart, it's not difficult to understand that the only place you'd want to be on earth is right in the center of his will. Amen. Nothing else can ever compare with the peace of knowing you are right where God wants you to be. And uh, so we are going as career missionaries working with a live dead church planting team in northern India. The city we'll be in is called Musuri. And there's a little shot of it. It's, uh, it's up there in the hills of the Himalayas. Um, and you can see how it's just built one house right on top of the other in these rugged, rugged areas there in the mountains. Our goal is to be in India by May 1st of 2019. And we would love to keep in touch as we go uh, to India. And you can join our team one of three different ways, um, or all three. I brought something with me this morning so that we can stay connected. Uh, prayer cards. So one of the best ways, snag one of these and be praying for us as we go to India, because we know it's not a family of, well, soon to be six, that's going to change a country, but it's churches like Central AG praying that's going to transform people in India. Amen? Amen. And um, so we encourage you guys to stay connected with us. Um, I, I forgot to bring one up, but we have a little card that has a plug-in on it. And if you want to commit and say, I'm going to pray, and I'd like to stay connected with more updates... You can just put your name. If you want an email update, put that on there. If you want Facebook, just write Facebook on there. Or if you'd like um, our newsletter, you can put your address on there. Staying connected and praying is one way. Going is another way. The truth is, today in India, there are five missionaries to every one million Hindus. So we have an incredible need. And our goal in India is that we would see 100 new workers go in 2019, and that in 2020 we would see 300 new workers go. Because if we're, if we're going to reach a country that's soon to be the most populous country in the world, we need people to say yes. Amen? And so we encourage you to think about going, whether that would be short term, for a month, for a year, or something long term. So, uh, as I'm speaking, if God puts something on your heart today, let's have a conversation. I do have some uh, more materials if you'd like to look into that. And then the third way you can join our team is by giving. And we have forms out on our table that you can <clears throat> snag if you'd be interested in being a part and saying, hey, I want to help keep this family on the field and I want to help reach people. And really, the truth is, it's, it's amazing because I, when, I, when we started this, I grew up a pastor's kid, and I, I, um, my, both my grandpas were pastors, and, and I pastored for nine years prior to us saying yes to the call of God. And so for me, growing up, I was, man, as a kid, I remember BGMC, and um, I remember anytime missionaries would come through, they'd stay at my house in my room usually and uh, sleep in my bed. And so I'd have to be in my, you know, my sister's room or my parents' room, but I'd always pull out my buddy barrel. 
so that missionaries can give to BGMC. <laughs> um, when the evangelists came through, I'd like, you know, you should be given twice as much. No, um, um, but, uh, but you know what? It's interesting how giving will change your perspective. It'll, it'll transform the way you see the world around you. You know, and for me, I met my wife, got to know her. I'd shared this in Sunday school with the students this morning. I got to know her because we both said we want to give the speed of light, and we worked for a farmer for a summer picking up rocks in his fields. Giving will change your life. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And uh, so, so I encourage you, if you'd be interested in saying, I'd love to commit to give and help you guys as you're on the field. Um, we got forms you can take and pray about that. You know, the funny thing about being in northern India, though, you can go ahead and go to the next slide, are the road signs. It's dangerous driving up in northern India, and so they want to let you know that these roads are dangerous. And so one of the things they'll do is they'll put these signs along the side of the road, all in English, things like, I am curvaceous, be slow. And uh, on the left, you have Steve Tripp, our youth director, and on the right, you have the area director of India, uh, Joseph Gordon. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, and so as you're in India, some of the main religions that were started in India, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism all began in India. And so it's fascinating because not only do you have these four religions, but also India today is the second largest Muslim country in the world. So we see that India is a country filled with people searching for God. People hungry for God, who are working and they're putting so much effort, so much of their life into this search for God, looking for peace where they cannot find it. And as we look at this, you see the challenge then of evangelizing in India. Because while there are widespread beliefs in different religious systems, Christianity it's just another one I can add to the mix, you know, when I feel like it. I can jump in with this one. And, you know, so it's interesting because even just in, just in Hinduism alone, you have 300 million gods. So Jesus, well, you know, that's a good idea. It's not a bad idea. You, you pick and choose based on what God seems, mm, seems to work for your, your lifestyle, seems to work for where you're living. And so the challenge of evangelizing is saying, you know what, there's only one way. There is only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. I mentioned briefly the scope of the country. I, before even breaking it down to people groups, we'll just talk about language groups in India. Today in India, there are 150 spoken languages. And the fascinating thing is, um, if we just talked about language groups, one of the largest is those who speak Hindi. 400 million people speak Hindi as their first language. And that's just one of the 150 language groups. And, and of that 400 million people who speak Hindi as their first language, we have one team from AG World Missions. So if you could put that into context, that would be as if Central, Assembly of God, were the only church in the entire United States. And you had to reach a country. Now you're beginning to understand the scope of the country. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, two more. Go two more slides. The, the other language group I think of are the Marathi-speaking people, 112 million people. And we only have one team. 
working among 112 million people in Mumbai. Uh, I, think, I think of the Gujarati-speaking people and how among that people group, 100 unreached people groups, they're among just that one language group. And the interesting thing is with the Gujarati, we're looking at sending a team, but we have yet to have a team among that language group. So you see the, the big mission field that we're faced with as we go to India. This incredible need and this incredible opportunity to see lives changed by the gospel. I think of a story of uh, one of the people I got to meet while I was there. Her name was Dashi. And um, she lived in this tiny Buddhist village. While we were trekking up in the mountains at 10,000 feet, we came across her village, went inside and got to meet her. She invited us in for yak butter tea, um, which is just like it sounds. She made tea and then put a scoop of yak butter in it. And so we sat down for this very salty, hot drink. And um, she had just graduated from college. She was trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. And as we sat there, I looked over on her table was a copy of Little House on the Prairie in English. This remote village that would take you at least 35 to 40 hours just to get to her village of straight traveling. And she had read the account, you know, of Laura Ingalls Wilder, but I'd yet to read or, or even hear the name of Jesus. You know, yet to read the gospel. And so I think of her story, this young lady who, as we begin to play for her, the gospel and her language, her eyes just begin to light up. She realized, hey, there's more than what I've known. All my life I've seen Buddhism, I've seen this, this religion, this community, and it's been everything that I've known, and yet there's more out there. And it's found in Jesus, amen? And so when you look at those big numbers, I want you to think of the individual as well, because what we're going to be doing is planting churches among unreached people groups. Our goal is to plant churches and to start a church planting movement. And these churches aren't planted necessarily with a building in mind, but with people in mind. Meaning they can meet in homes, they can meet in, in coffee shops, they can meet really anywhere, open air, but that we would see people being discipled and really catching the vision to begin to disciple those around them. If you can go to the next slide. As we plant churches, we do it in a variety of different ways, but in where we're in our location where we're going to be, there are a lot of really tight, narrow roads. And so sometimes you run into issues with traveling. And so I shared this briefly with the students on Wednesday night. But whenever you get in traffic jams, these men are, are very astute and they know financially how to make a buck. And so there he is selling cotton candy from car to car. Um, <laughs> You'll also have people selling toys and selling food and different things. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, and you'll also find monkeys all over the place. There's 40,000 people in Missouri and probably 80,000 monkeys. Uh, that's not a scientific figure, but they do seem to be everywhere you go. And if you got that close, you're probably not in a good place because these monkeys will take your lunch money, okay? You do not want to <laughs> hug a monkey. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So church planting for us starts in a place called the Missouri CrossFit Gym. 
And this is, a, this is a gym that was started just four years ago, and we're finding that people, especially young people in India, are catching on to this kind of this exercise craze that where they're really interested in trying some of these new things from the United States. And so CrossFit has been an incredible way for us to reach and to connect with Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus, people who have even given up on God and atheists. And, um, People of all spectrums who might never walk into a church building, but they'll walk in and sweat and, 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 and be in pain for about an hour <laughs> and build relationships and come to a meal and begin to talk about life and begin to talk about what gives us purpose in life. And you begin to see people discipled to Christ through relationships. God doing some incredible things. In fact, just a quick testimony. Easter this year, we had 50 men get together from the CrossFit gym. They brought some of their friends, got together for a meal, and were able to share the gospel with them. Here's what Easter means. You know, they hear about these holidays, and so they're celebrating hearing what Jesus has done. And out of the group of 50 men that got together, five of them committed to being disciples and saying, I want to find out more about this Jesus. God is doing miracles. Uh, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's incredible because growing up in the church, it's not in a way that I would have necessarily said, this is how Jesus is planting his church. You know? I, I, in fact, I personally, I would have been like, that's the last way I want to plant the church. Can I open a donut shop, you know, and plant the church? <laughs> Anyone with me? Let's go... <laughs> Let's go open up some donut shops. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan is going to India to plant some donut shops so we can plant some churches. Um, but bringing us to the crux of the matter, Jesus came for lost people. Oh, come on, church. Jesus came for lost people. Amen? As a church, we are here for lost people. And that's what it all comes down to. It says in Romans 15, 20, Paul shares, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Today in India, there are 700 million young people, 25 years old and younger, who desperately need to hear the message of Jesus. And it is our ambition to make this message known. And it's the story of Zacchaeus that brings me to what Jesus is doing really around the world. And it's found in Luke chapter 19. And you can follow along if you'd like as we take a look at the story of a man who had never met Jesus. Jesus had never been to his town. And yet one day he hears that Jesus is coming to Jericho. And we're going to start at verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. It tells us about Jesus entering Jericho. And in verse 2, it says that there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. Maybe a few of you know a song about how short Zacchaeus truly was. Uh, wee little man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And it says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. 
I love that part right there. I, I could just stop right there. Okay. Zacchaeus is, 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 is a short man, but he's known by the people in his town. But the truth is, Jesus has never been to his town, right? Jesus has never met this man. Jesus has never walked these streets. He's here in this place for the very first time, seeing this man, and he speaks his name. Zacchaeus. And I love what he says next. He goes on to say, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is such an amazing moment. Because I can guarantee you, as a tax collector, as a chief tax collector, everyone else is trying to ignore Zacchaeus. If he's in the crowd, they're probably trying to shove him aside. They're keeping him from seeing Jesus. They, they know what Zacchaeus does. He takes our money, right? He, he calls himself a Jew, and yet he is robbing us blind. Everyone else wants to pretend like Zacchaeus doesn't exist, but yet Jesus sees him and knows him in an instant. And I want to encourage you in the house today, if you feel like God is ignoring you, like your prayers aren't being answered, like you are one in a million and God just has passed you by. I want you to hear this today. God knows your name and he's saying, I want to come to your house. Not when you get cleaned up, not when your life gets better, not when things start to look the way they should and you begin to say you're sorry for the things or you messed up. He says, today, I want to come to your house. I know your name and I want to come to your house. And this is an incredible moment. Amen? And so you have this man up in the tree with his Gucci robes, seen by Jesus, called out by Jesus. And so it says he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And here's the crowd's response. When they saw it, they all grumbled. They all grumbled. Man, it is so fun having small children, but this word grumble suddenly comes to light because whether it's the kids or it's me, (laughs) this word grumble begins to become a little bit more understood. Um, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, here's an interesting thing. As a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus is wealthy. And uh, he's probably got lots of friends because of his wealth. We know that the people tax collectors like to hang out with were not necessarily people you'd see in the synagogue. You know, they're not people who would, you would walk by and you're like, you know, that's a, man, that's a great guy. I want to get to know him. Tax collectors hung out with Crooks, swindlers, murderers, prostitutes, people you didn't want to spend a Sunday afternoon hanging out with. And yet, I got to think that when Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming to his house, he said, hey, all my friends need to be here. They got to get, they got to, get to my house. I'm going I'm to put a spread out. I'm going to put food out. You got to get here. Jesus is coming. He's going to be at my table. You've got to meet him. You've got to meet him. I just met him on the street, and he called me out. How awesome is that? You've got to come and see this guy. He's amazing. And they're like, well, we don't know anything about this Jesus, but you said something about food? <laughs> okay, sure. And so his house is packed with people, with sinners, with people you would not find, because we know everyone else who is religious has said he's going to be in the home of a sinner. There's no way. They're going in to hang out with Jesus in Zacchaeus' home. Most likely, they're all on the outside of the home. And here's what happens in verse 9. 
This is such a cool moment. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And I love how Jesus doesn't say salvation has come to you, Zacchaeus. You've done such a great job of saying you're going to give your money away and support and help the poor so you get salvation. He doesn't say salvation has come to you and you know the people who are going to commit to give their lives to me. They'll raise their hand and pray the prayer after me later. He said everyone in the house gets salvation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've cleaned your life up. It doesn't matter if you've made a commitment of faith. If you're in the house today, salvation is free if you want it. How amazing in this is, is this moment. These people have grown up knowing that you have to do the ceremonial cleansing. You have to do the sacrifices. You have to do all these things. All these things that they had given up years ago because they were way too dirty. Their lives were too disgusting that they had walked so far away. And yet in this moment, they meet Jesus at a table and they find salvation. This is, this is an incredible moment because that was me at the table. Right? That was us at the table. At what, at what point did I clean my life up enough that Jesus could give me salvation? At what point did we attend church enough that Jesus could love us? He chose them. He chose me. He chose each of us. And I love what he does with Zacchaeus. He says, this man is truly a son, or is also a son of Abraham. Because he begins to give him value again. You know, as a tax collector and a chief tax collector, he'd been cast aside by everyone around him. Maybe even his own family because of his profession, because of what he did. But in that moment, Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm going to define you. No longer are their words your destiny. You are a son of Abraham. You are a son of Abraham. Your identity is now found in me. Your job doesn't define you anymore. Your history, your past all the mistakes you've made, they don't define you anymore. You are defined simply by who I am. I love that because the truth is I could never place value on my own life. Right? I could never, I could never be satisfied on my own. But today, if you've been searching for value, Jesus is saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. You don't have to search any longer. You're not going to find it any, anywhere else. I'm giving you what you're searching for. Now, then the question is, who is it around you that's searching for that value? Because if you could say today, you know what? I'm serving Jesus. I found my value. I found my identity in him. And the reality is you probably know someone who doesn't. They don't serve him. They haven't found their value in him. Amen? Right? We, 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 we come in contact with people like this all the time at work, just on a daily basis as we live our lives in our neighborhood, 
And here's the fascinating thing. Zacchaeus didn't need to attend Bible college or learn the Romans road to help his friends find Jesus. Where did they find Jesus? Someone tell me. At his house. At his table. Sitting around having that good food, right? And my question is, do you have a table? Because if you're a believer, if you're following Jesus, he's in your home, right? And if Jesus is in your home, then who is it that needs to be at your table? It doesn't take a college degree. It doesn't take a title or a position. It doesn't really require for you to be that saved that long. We know that Zacchaeus just met Jesus. He is still pretty messy, you know? And yet, having just met Jesus, he said, you got to come to my table and meet the one who can change your life. So the question then is, are you having anyone over to your table? Are you willing to get messy? To invite people into your home who maybe would never come into the doors of a church on a Sunday morning, but yet they still need to meet Jesus? Are we willing to step outside of our door, meet our neighbors, meet our coworkers, students, and a little bit you'll be at school? Are you willing to step outside of your comfort zone and say, hey, why don't you come over? We'll hang out this afternoon. And around your table, with good food, all right? The church should be known for having good food. Come on. Now I'm preaching, right? The church should be known for having good food, but around your table, that people might meet Jesus on a regular basis. Because the reality is, the square footage of this church is dwarfed by the square footage of our homes. Amen? And that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's something that we have that we take care of, that we take pride in. Maybe you've been working on it this summer. I, I don't know. But the reality is, Jesus is saying, hey, that's not just for you just to enjoy and live in and but it's a place that people need to meet me. So that, Lord, I just ask that we could see our homes different, see what we have differently, that we might be able to see it as an opportunity to share Jesus around the table. Let me pray. I'm going to invite Pastor Tom up, then I'm going to invite the worship team up at this time too. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the way that your gospel is going forward, not only in India, but here in Superior and Duluth and in the surrounding area, God, how your gospel is going forward and it's not going to be held back by the enemy because the reality is our tables are going to be the places where people are changed by the gospel. How about we don't have to have a title, we don't have to have a, a, got a, a, an education in, in in, in, in religious studies, God, we don't have to have all these different things that we think maybe sometimes qualify us to reach people for you. But all we need to do is be willing to be friendly and love people. And I ask God that this church would be one that would love their neighbors, would love their coworkers, and love those they come in contact with on a daily basis. And let this community be transformed by the gospel, starting with our table. We thank you for this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Stay here, Brother Dan.